Welcome back to another episode of GEMS Podcast with Genesis Amaris Kemp, where the core pillars are to educate, inspire, and motivate. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this segment. Welcome back to GEMS Podcast. I am the founder and host, Miss Genesis Amaris Kemp, and with me today is Lance Psycho. Here is a bit about Lance. He is a serial entrepreneur and the co-founder of wildly successful architecture and construction firms in Northern Colorado. His career in architecture, engineering, and construction industry spans over two decades and includes several design awards, including the International Architizer A-plus Award for Architecture, plus Living Small in 2016. He co-founded F9 Productions, his architecture firm, in 2009 with his business partner, Alex Gore, after being laid off from a boutique firm in Boulder during the Great Recession. Since its inception, the partners have grown F9 from two employees grossing less than six figures to a team of 11. They operate out of their brand new custom-built office that they design, build, and develop in Long Longmont. This year, they earned the number one spot in Tier 3 of BizWest Mercury, 100 facet-growing private firms blowing out the competition with a 386% growth rate. Wow, that's incredible. And throughout his now seasoned career, Lance has served his community by managing a community garden in Longmont, which he is now turning into a formal nonprofit. He also teaches part-time at the University of Colorado Boulder and co-hosts one of the top five architecture and business podcasts in the world, known as Inside the Firm. So without further ado, please welcome Lance Psycho, where today we're going to be learning about starting a business from scratch. Thank you so much for that introduction. I really appreciate that, Genesis. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure, Lance. So let's start off with um, you sharing a fun and interesting fact about yourself as a way of an icebreaker. Uh, I am 39 right now, and when I was 33, I found out that um, my dad who raised me was not my real dad, and that was a shocker to everybody. Uh, so, uh, But the beautiful thing about finding that out was um, I was raised a pretty strict Catholic, and I'm actually very thankful for the kind of that raising in that way because it was a good fundamental uh, basis for just uh, morality and uh, a grounding and kind of, um, you know, Western civilization and everything. But I did during my early 20s, certainly go through a period of like egg agnostic and agnosticism. Um, and where I was just like, well, maybe there is maybe there isn't a, a higher being a God or anything like that. Um, I would still take my kids to uh, <clears throat> uh, church, church as often as, as often as I could. And we tried to instill, you know, something like that in them. Um, but it wasn't until I found my dad when I was 33 that everything clicked and it, and it clicked for me and it really brought me back to God and, and was my proof of God. Um, simply because <clears throat> what I expected to happen once I found my dad was my real dad was I didn't get along with my dad who raised me very well. And I expected to be able to go, ha ha, just throw it back on him and like, honestly hurt him. And the complete opposite. And I had a lot of anger built up. And as soon as I found out who my real dad was, the anger went away. And it was, it was so like earth shattering to me that 
the first thought that popped into my head was I was like, <clears throat> well, of course, all the anger went away. Like God knows me better than I know me. He, he made me. So this was all part of his plan. And uh, yeah, so I thought I would at least share that. Wow, that is an interesting fact. So how did you know the man that raised you wasn't your biological father? Well, the suspicion was, you know, I look like him because it's like I was telling my daughter this morning, you know, my daughter was asking me last night, she goes, I don't know why she was asking me this either. She goes, how much Native American am I? And I explained to her, I was like, oh, you're, you're three sixteenths because your dad is a quarter Chippewa. Your mom is an eighth. So you're a three sixteenths that. And I said, but you're also uh, a quarter Brazilian, which is like South American Indian, if you want to call it that. I mean, my dad is very, very dark. He has, you know, features that like look like this man is not white. The, the dad who, uh, my, my biological dad anyway. Um, so <clears throat> it was so, but, but at the same time, it was like during this, during the winter growing up in North Dakota, like, while well, my complexion is very light skinned. I mean, white, you like there's so, but in the summer down here in Colorado, like I can look Latino and, and then, you know, like when I work with any of my Latino clients or anything, some of them tried to speak Spanish with me. So like, I'm like this chameleon that goes back and forth. And the reason why I'm bringing it talk, uh, bringing that up is like, it was entirely plausible that the dad who raised me, who is Caucasian could have been my dad just by looks. I mean, there was features that were similar, but there were features that were not. But I think what ultimately helped me understand, like led me to why he maybe isn't is the energy between us was like magnets trying to, you know, where you have a positive and a negative and they just push each other apart. Yeah. Um, and without getting too woo woo about the whole thing, you know, um, new age sort of, you know, energy sort of thing, but like, you got to believe in some of this. Um, and so, uh, to shorten the story a little bit further too, then my brother, so I would tell my, I was always that jerk brother growing up and uh, my brother was six years younger than me. And and he is very, very dark. Uh, so dark that I was like, so he's like, uh, probably, um, I mean, he just is very Brown and he looks like a hundred percent native American. And his, uh, his, he doesn't have curly hair like mine. He actually has like very long, plain, uh, thick black hair. So I just look so Native American. And uh, my dad is, the dad who raised us is very Caucasian, very white. And he said, uh, so I would always tease my little brother and I would be like, dad's not your real dad. Just total jerk, right? I mean, really that kind of older brother. Well, he, later on in life, he turned that on me because he found this uh, yearbook of my mom's. And there was this man, his name was Cesar Pedrosa. And he looked at that picture. I think uh, I was like, even I was in college or something. I was like 19, something like that. My little brother, my little brother was like eighth, ninth grade around then. <clears throat> and he found that yearbook and he brought the yearbook. Or he found the yearbook at our, at our house and said, like, he opened that up and showed it to my mom one day and said, um, this, who is this? Who is this Cesar Pedrosa? And she got so angry. She ripped it up. And he was, and he, yeah, I know I see your mouth. <laughs> if everybody's watching videos, like dropped your mouth. And uh, he, so it was like shocking to him. And then my sister-in-law who wasn't a sister-in-law then, but she was there, his girlfriend was there so much. She saw it too. And they were both just like, what the heck was that? So they, the suspicions started from there and then jump fast forward till I was 33. My, the dad who raised me, when I were not, again, not getting along. And one day my brother just said, like, I think you need, I think you need to find your real dad. And I hadn't even thought about it for like a decade, 
you know, cause he brought it up like, again, my early twenties when he's brought up this yearbook thing. And, uh, and I was like, are you serious? And he said, yes. And I said, okay, if we're, if we're going to do this, like I need, first of all, like it, the only people that can know about it right away are me, you and Jenny, Jenny's his wife. And I need your word that like, <clears throat> we're okay with the consequences of this, if this is real, because we just still didn't know. It was just only a crazy idea. And, uh, so I said, you got to get me the, you know, show me the picture in the yearbook. So he went actually to the school, found a yearbook in the library, took a picture of the guy, you know, gave me the name. I went on Facebook and because he was a foreign exchange student, he was still friends. Like the guy was a foreign exchange student when he met my mom at, in high school and everything. He was still friends with like half of my community. I grew up in a very small community, 500 people living in the town. So it was, I was like, oh, wow, I can find him right away. Oh my God. He accepted my friend request, like without question. And then I messaged him and uh, I first, con- I first lied to him and said, Hey, I'm uh, cause I didn't want to freak him out. I was like, I think, oh, I said, uh, hi, I'm a PhD student. I was not a PhD student. I'm trying to do a uh, research paper on my mother and her name is, her name is Charlotte. And I think you went to prom with her. He goes, oh, I don't know. I don't know. No, Charlotte. So I said, oh, okay. Well, so I kind of went away for a couple hours and then I go, I go, look, I lied. I, here's the truth. I think you might be my dad. Do you know a lady named BZ? Because that was her nickname in high school. Still is. And he goes, oh, I know a BZ. I go, oh, okay. So then I did a Photoshop. I just put, I mashed my picture versus his picture. Spitting image. I mean, just like first time I've ever looked at any other man in my life and said, okay, I look like that person because I never really thought I looked like people up in North Dakota. And so <clears throat> he, he goes, oh, and I said, look, I don't want to freak you out. Um, I understand this is a, like a lot. Do you, if you want to sleep on it and message me in the morning, if you want to talk to me again, if you never want to talk to me again, that's okay. Cause even at that point, I was like, it was kind of enough for me to go. I think it probably is. Uh, sure enough, I woke up at like 5 a.m., did not sleep that night, woke up for just a couple hours of sleep, ding, 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 and he goes, let's make a test. And so I said, okay, so I ordered a test, and one swab went to him, one swab went to me, and then 30 days later, you know, you're 99.999, and then that kind of rest was history, so. Oh, wow, and thank you. That was just an amazing icebreaker, because I had no idea we were going to go down that path. <laughs> But it was, it's definitely beneficial. And the reason why I say that, Lance, is because knowing that your dad is your dad now versus your stepdad, you can have some characteristic traits from your dad that allowed you to tap into entrepreneurship. So is your real dad an entrepreneur or are there um, things that you see similarly in comparison between you and him? Oh my God, such a good question. Oh, I don't even, I don't even know if you weren't even ready for this. Right. But that's what also blew my mind was so uh, the dad who raised me and um, my mother um, were not entrepreneurs. They were the opposite of entrepreneurs. Uh, they would, they only, my mother still has the same job she had when she was 17 and yeah. And she just gets like, I don't think treated the best, but she does it. She, you know, so she's the native American. And, um, she serves, she works for Indian health services up in North Dakota. And, and we, we basically grew up on, it wasn't an official reservation, but there was still funding from the government and then still socialized medics, medicine and healthcare and all of that. So we, we got like a taste of what it was like to be on a reservation. 
Um, but anyway, she, they were so not that. Then I found my dad. And, and again, this kind of speaks to like, when I was being cautious about when I, when I told the white lie and I was trying to just like inch my way in because I looked up before I contacted him, like, Oh, he lives in Manaus, Brazil. And I don't know if you know where that is, but it's in the middle of the Amazon. And when you just do a Google street view of that, I was like, Holy crap, this is a third world country. And it, it, I mean, part of it is, you know, maybe I just clicked on the wrong street at the right time. There are beautiful parts of Manaus, but I was like, oh, this guy's probably poor. I mean, that was me, just my stereotypical, like what an awful thought he's not, he's a multimillionaire. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's got this amazing drive. And it was just like, oh, okay. That's where I get it from. Like, there you go. Like, and I'm the only entrepreneur out of the whole family. So there you go. Wow. Who would, who would have thought like, he's an entrepreneur, then you went down entrepreneurship and then your brother. Cause, um, is it just the two of you? Yeah. Me and my brother from North Dakota, but then I did gain a sister and a brother in Brazil. Okay. So your brother from North Dakota, um, do y'all have the same dad? No, 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 exactly. So his dad, so he actually then went and got a DNA test and everything lined up for him. So the lie I was telling, the teasing I was telling him when I was a kid was not true the whole time. Dad's his dad. Oh, interesting. So dad is his dad. And then it's just you and your other siblings that you gained. So I guess the bonus siblings from Brazil. And you're the only one out of your three siblings that is in entrepreneurship. 100%. Yep. So when you think about starting a business from scratch, why is it so important for you knowing that you're the only one in your family outside of your biological father that is along the entrepreneurship path? Because sometimes if they don't see anyone else doing it, they may not feel like they're capable or competent. And feel free to re, um, revise the question if it makes it easier to answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my favorite quotes of all time from anybody, believe it or not, is from Kanye West. And Kanye West says, I know you're laughing. And Kanye West says, uh, having money isn't everything, but not having it is. And I was like, oh my God, when I heard that lyric, I had to like stop my CD player wherever I was listening to with it. And I, I was, I just had to stop and pause. And I was like, oh, well, how come I haven't heard that before? Like, that was amazing because my mom and dad who raised me would always just stop with money isn't everything. Fair enough. But then like not having it is because it is. It, 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 if you don't have money, and I'm not suggesting you, you like money is everything. I'm just saying if you are poor or if you're ever, if you're ever having to think about like, what do I do at the end of the month if I'm not making men, ends meet? Where am I cutting the money from? Um, it's everything to you then. So that, that's why that clicked for me. So really to kind of swing back again, back to mom and dad, they did a great job raising us. I would never, I wouldn't do anything over again. I try to thank them as much as possible, especially now that I've kind of went through this cycle of finding dad and then COVID teaching me a lesson just about like how precious life is and how we really need to honor the positive people and parents in our lives and everything. Um, but so I'm even thankful that we grew up kind of poor and they hate when I say that, but I, I remember specifically several instances, for example, do you remember Aqua Socks? Aqua Socks uh, were like really. the, 
Okay, fair enough. I'll explain them to everybody because maybe this is dating me. I'm like an older millennial. Um, Aqua socks are like super popular in the, uh, I remember like around the Save by the Bell era. So early 90s, late 80s. And they were like a different version of a sandal. So they would, they were just slip on, you could wear them in water. Well, there was one summer, like that was my pair of shoes. And I remember getting teased dearly was about them. And like, that's all we could afford. Like I wasn't getting two pairs of shoes. So like there were several instances of that. And like, I just grew up knowing we did not have money and therefore like not asking for stuff. And, you know, there's jealousy that happens from seeing other people with things and stuff like that. And then just me wanting to do like basic stuff that I felt like, I feel like kids should be able to do that basic stuff without having sort of this guilt over, over their heads, you know, not like extravagant things like dad, buy me a car. Cause that never even, you know, that never happened. I bought my own car. Um, so that, that drive is what really always fueled me because when, when I, especially when I got to my first job, kind of my, I say 1.5 job, like job 1.5 job. One was I did try to irrigate with my dad, which, so we used to, I grew up between a, a ranch, a cattle ranch on mom's side. And then dad's mom and dad were sugar beet and Durham farmers up in uh, North Dakota. And I tried to farm with my dad one summer and we had to irrigate the crops. And it was horrible because I thought, because I did wake up in the middle of the night, the mosquitoes would almost carry you away. It was just not the kind of work I liked. And uh, it lasted like two weeks. We also did not get along, like I've you know, been mentioning. And uh, his dad was a, or his uh, best friend was a general contractor. And I said, um, and I said, well, I'm going to go work for Bruce. And he goes, sure. I mean, as long as you have a job, like, I don't care. Uh, And so I called Bruce and I said, look, I will do whatever it takes. I'm not made out to be a farmer. Like, this is not my thing. I've always wanted to get into construction. I was 13. I will do whatever it takes. And he goes, sure, we'll call you. you, You're hired on. We'll pay 725. You're a gopher. And he goes, and I go, what do you you mean? He goes, you go for this, you go for that. Like, that's, that's the job. You're the lowest person on the totem pole. You don't get to come up on the roof because they were roofing that summer until all the garbage is picked up on the ground. I was on the roof almost immediately because I was just like, nope, I want to learn and all of that. And uh, a couple paychecks went by and everything. I love the work, all of that. And uh, I would ask him questions that like the guys who were working for him would not because they were just not, I don't know, maybe they just weren't curious and everything. And I was like, I would ask money questions. How, how does this work? How do you bid on it? Um, like, what, like, what do you, how does it work with paying us? And he just flat out told me, he's like, he's like, I make money off of you. He's like, I, I, it's a risk to hire you. You know, I got to pay all these taxes. I got to pay all the insurance he goes. And so if I'm paying you 725, your billable rate is actually three times that. And so part of the excess go, you know, excess billing on that pays for the insurance, all the risk and everything. And then like, I have to turn a profit because if I'm giving you guys time off, it's just profit is the lifeblood of a, of a uh, company. Like there's no way around this. Um, if you don't have profit, the company doesn't survive, especially during a downtime. When he told me that about the, mul- when, he, when he explained how the multiplication worked, it was a big light bulb. And because I was 13, you know, who else? Because my dad wasn't going to explain this to me um, because he's not a business person. I was like, oh, like, well, eventually, like, I want my own company, then why wouldn't I want my own company? Like, that doesn't mean that I'm going to get the work, not help with the work, facilitate the work. Like, you know, everybody has this idea of like, not everybody, but some people have this idea of like this greedy capitalist who gets the work, and then they just, they just sit at home and drink tea all day. But it's like, that's not how it really works, right? There's a whole 
there's so much work to being an entrepreneur. Um, so that's really what pushed me in the direction kind of from day one on a real, on my first real job of like, I want my own construction company. That's what I want to do. I need my own construction company. Like, this is the way out of poverty. This is the way, this is way to, the way to freedom because to me, making enough money to where you can do what you want is freedom. Like you can, and without any guilt too, like there should be no guilt. And I don't want my kids. That was the other thing too. As I was like, I don't want a lot of parents do this, right? They're like, they have a kid. Then they remember all the negative stuff about their mom and dad. And they're like, I don't want them to do that. Then they do the opposite. And then it just is this cycle. So that's, that's what led me there. And I love that you shared the whole story because in your team, teens, you had somebody that left an impact on you and was showing you the way of business. And so that's whenever you got the inkling like, oh, I've already worked in this area. So then you got the idea, I want to own my own company. So if you would have never stopped working with your dad to go work with the Bruce, it wouldn't have introduced you to the construction side of things, roofing, and now architecture. So all of the things that you've endured in your life has led you to where you are now. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't take, uh, I'm very much a believer in providence. And then part of it is so reinforced from like, when I found my dad, we found God and everything. I just, even the negative stuff, like that happened for a reason. It's a, it's either a strength test or something like, like that, that is trying to prepare you to be able for like a harder strength test. Um, and it, it's just part of life. I mean, every day we, I tell, I tell us to my sons, I have three, three, three kids, uh, three sons and one daughter and tell them to all of them, all of them actually is like every day being a human being is you are, your existence is like resisting gravity. Like, do you understand, like, just the act of standing up straight with your shoulders back and being confident and walking upright is, is powerful. And like, just think about that, like throughout your whole day. That's amazing. And have you ever went back and told Bruce on how much of an impact he made on your life, or maybe even had him on inside the firm podcast to kind of just do like a look back on where we started and where we are now? I have, I have, I have texts with him, uh, in the, since, you know, I haven't had, I haven't had, when's the last time I saw Bruce even probably in person, probably about 20 years ago, uh, uh, less than that, maybe like 13, 14, but, uh, I have been in contact with him in text messages. Um, but you, it's funny you mentioned, like, I have been meaning to reach back out with him and I probably will after this podcast now, maybe this is part of Providence because his wife texted me the other day and said like, Bruce would love a phone call from you. So I, I, I'm going to put that on my list because um, I think he would appreciate hearing that. And, you know, people forget stuff. Maybe he didn't really think it was impactful, but like, it's the truth. And maybe I'll just send him this podcast. Uh, that, that would probably be helpful in addition of like, hey, man, I just want you to know that like I, I express what you did for me to the world. Yeah, because I believe in giving the people their flowers while they could bloom, metaphorically speaking, because mm-hmm. someone may never know the impact that they had on your life. Because now you have the Inside the Firm podcast, you have F9 Productions. So let's um, switch gears a little bit. And so I could be respectful of our time commitment. Why the name F9 Productions? Oh, yeah, great question. So uh, when we were in college, 
Um, so I would have, I was, I attended uh, architecture school from 2003 to 2008. So it was a while ago. And even back then, I mean, that was like, you know, if we had to graduate in 2008, well, Twitter were just getting going, Facebook was just getting going to like kind of put a timetable on this for, for the listeners. So the technology was still not where it was. I mean, we were just getting held handheld iPhones and everything like that. Like it was just on the cusp. So why I'm bringing that up is because computers were like that in college. So architects, architecture school was on, there was, it was like 50% was in one camp and 50% was in the other camp. And camp, the first camp was, we called them pencil Nazis. And then the other one was um, uh, computer people, basically like computer Nazis. It was a joke, uh, but like the computer, not the pencil Nazis would insist, like everything's got to be hand-drawn. Everything has to be a handmade model like you're you're ruining the purity of the art of creating architecture if you don't have if you're not if you're not creating with those tools and um i was very much on the fence of like i understand that i i like being able to be versatile in everything that's possible and and at least be uh, adept in like doing those things but guys it's 20 it's 2000 whatever and the computers are here to stay like the internet's here to stay like all this stuff is here to stay and i think this is the future um so the software that uh my business partner and i would use to do all of our photorealistic renderings um so what those are is like those are the renderings that make it look like the building is actually built but it's not it's just in the computer right and the hot key for that piece of software that we use which is 3ds max was f9 and that that F9, you like you would we would make a joke because like the teachers would think um, the, the pencil Nazi teachers who were not on board with like moving ahead with this technology, we would joke that they would be like, what do they think we do? We're just holding up the mouse like this and saying like make building and then we walk away. And so we said, oh, we'll just hit F9 and walk away. Um, and then once we started our firm, we did we had Alex and I we had no built work, like nothing that we did ourselves because it was all under other architects and they would not allow us to use that work to obtain our own work. So all we had were F9 productions. Thank you for sharing that. And who would have thought just one keyboard on the, one key on the keyboard made a huge impact. And now you have F9 productions and then you partner that with inside the firm. And then you have Lance Psycho and some of the things that he does. Um, so Lance, as we begin to wind down, I definitely want to have you back for a part two, because there was some questions I didn't get to ask you, but I have to be respectful of our time commitment. I want you to share your call to action for this segment. Uh, my, you only live one time. And I think you should, you should try out your, what, something that you think you can monetize that you're passionate about once before you're 30. One of the best pieces of advice, and I can't remember what entrepreneur it was, but it's been several that have basically echoed the same sentiment. And that is, you should do that. And you should almost risk everything at least once before you're 30. Because if you fail, you still have your 30s to succeed. You know, there is a certain time period where like, let's say you tried it between your 40 and 50, maybe you don't have time to financially recover but you have a, a whole a whole life ahead of you after after 30 um maybe even maybe even 40 with everybody taking care of themselves hopefully now but i think if you 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 are not you're just don't allow yourself to even 
have the uh, possibility of, of living with any regret in your life. And that's what another thing that just drives me as a serial entrepreneur, because there's businesses that we've tried to start that haven't went anywhere, products we've tried to launch that haven't went anywhere. But I sleep very well every night because I know that like, in addition to trying all these different businesses, I, I live my life to the max, even on the weekends, um, whether it's running the garden uh, that is a now a nonprofit, whether it's uh, fishing with me and my kids or, or taking friends and making fishing videos and, and hopefully leaving them with like memories that are forever, even after I'm gone. Um, I, I, I just, especially after COVID too, it's like, guys, this life is so precious. And um, or what you think about the restrictions, uh, good or bad, that they did restrict what we could do. And so when they're not there, you really need to remember when we didn't, when we did have those kind of restrictions and we couldn't do what we wanted, that you just absolutely, every minute is such a blessing. The, the present's a present. I like that. The present is a present. No, the present is a present. Thanks yeah. for sharing that, Lance. And for those interested in connecting with you further, please plug your website and where you hang out primarily on social media. Uh if uh, the website, uh, there's two different websites I'd point everybody to. First one would just be f9productions.com. That's F as in Frank, the number nine, the word productions, plural.com. You can even sign up for our newsletter there. Um, so that's our architecture company. Um, that's sort of coupled with our construction company. The construction company is F14 Productions. Um, we will do architecture any, anywhere in the world that anybody will hire us. We will only do construction, though, for like uh, if you're within like a 30 or 40 minute radius um, of our headquarters up in Longmont, Colorado. And then if you're interested in the podcast, it's inside the firm podcast.com. Uh, Genesis was just on it, uh, this last Monday and it was, it was fantastic. She was a great guest. Um, so we do two shows, uh, each week, the Monday show, which, which again, Genesis was on is, uh, that's just an interview, a one-on-one kind of like this, where I'm just picking the brain of other entrepreneurs and business folks, um, sometimes politics, uh, who are, just making a change in the world and are they're all positive too. I think that's the biggest thing about it is like, there's always some one sentence. I guarantee you, if you listen to the show, you'll be able to take away with positivity from our show and move it and implement it in your life. And then the Friday show is the original show, the OG that's me and Al Gore, my business partner. It's called that one's just uh, just inside the firm, but it's all under the same show. So if you, you can find us on all the major platforms, iTunes, Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, um, and then we have a YouTube channel um, inside the firm podcast. And you can, you can see our faces on that um, if, you, if you're a YouTube person. And there you have it, listeners and viewers of GEMS Podcast. Once again, I am your host and founder, Miss Genesis Amaris Kemp. And I want you to take the idea that you have and build upon the idea and walk out your dreams by turning them into realities because you leveled up you ask questions and you found that mentor, whether they were informal or formal and love the life you live and live the life you love. So until next time, peace, love, and lots of blessing. Remember you're an asset, not a liability, and you were created for a reason, for purpose, on purpose. So stop allowing limitations to contain you. Thank you for listening to another segment of GEMS Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this recording. Make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe 
to GEMS Podcast on your audio platform, as well as our YouTube channel, GEMS with Genesis Mars Kemp. We would love for you to be a sponsor, so please reach out via email at GEMS, G-E-M-S, with W-I-T-H, Genesis, G-E-N-E-S-I-S, Amaris, A-M-A-R-I-S, Kemp, K-E-M-P, at gmail.com, where your brand, your swag, your services can be here on GEMS Podcasts.